Okay, as you can see, we are in uh, Exodus 39, beginning in, in verse uh, 32 today. So if you have been here, you know that this is uh, right before the end of Exodus. It goes 40 chapters. These last 16 chapters of Exodus, you remember, 13 of them are dealing with the tabernacle. And so we are still dealing with um, the tabernacle Uh, interrupted by about three chapters in the middle of it, but 13 out of the last 16. So the tabernacle is is a big deal in Exodus. When we think of Exodus, we tend to think of the plagues, crossing of the Red Sea, uh, and things like that. Um, Well, the Exodus itself actually uh, is a smaller portion of Exodus, of the book of Exodus, than the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is a big deal. Just as important, um, it's a big deal because it is where the presence of the Lord dwells with the people of Israel. It's the place of the Holy of Holies. It's the place where the Lord speaks with Moses. It's the place of the atonement. Um, It is the place of what most of our translations call the mercy seat. So we started this part of Exodus, if you haven't been with us, uh, on December 18th last year. Um, So before Christmas last year, we started this tabernacle uh, section, and tonight we will finish the 12th out of those 13 chapters and and start um, the last one, Uh, and then next week we we will wrap up Exodus, Lord willing. So if you have been with us since... Uh, December, I want to remind you of, of this little quote that I think is well worth it. Um, it's from Victor Hamilton that says this, Kudos to the readers of Scripture who patiently are able to plow their way through all the micrometric details vis-a-vis the tabernacle in chapters 25 to 31 only to have to face an encore in chapters 35 to 39. He goes on to say that nowhere does repetition operate on such a massive scale in Exodus as in these 12 chapters, and the repetition is almost verbatim. Something that is rare in other repeated texts. So why is that? Well, I think tonight we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Uh, but if you, if you have not been here, um, uh, guess what? You get the cliff notes, uh, if you know what those are. Uh, basically, we have in this uh, part of chapter 39 and part of chapter 40, a repeat of, but a summary of, the construction of the tabernacle and instructions for the tabernacle. Twice. Just like, just like the big group that was, has been here most weeks knows, they got to do it twice, so tonight you get to do it twice, too. So before we do that, we'll do our quick review. Um, t- so the tabernacle and its furnishings were in were, um, what we're covering um, in, in Exodus, at the end of Exodus. So you can summarize those in, in three ways, really. There's the tabernacle itself, which includes the Holy of Holies. There's the courtyard, which is around 
the tabernacle, and then there are the priests and the things that they wear. I mean, those are, those are kind of the groups of things that you have uh, as in this preparation for construction of, of the tabernacle. And chapter 39 was about making the garments for the priests. Most of it was. The first 31 verses, and especially for Aaron, who is Moses' brother and who was the high priest. And so Exodus 39 began this way. From the blue and the purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. That's in the tabernacle. And they made holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So chapter 39 focuses on the first 31 verses, focus on these three, these four things that Aaron had and wore that none of the other priests wore. They were uh, the ephod, which is kind of like a shirt, a breast piece that goes on top of that, a robe that goes under it, and then the last ones, the last one, <clears throat> excuse me, Aaron's holy crown. And that's where we spent most of our time last week. This crown that Aaron has um, is on a turban that only he wears, only the high priest wears. So verse 30 reads like this. And they made a plate, or you could say medallion, of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to Yahweh, or holy to the Lord. So the key phrase there is holy to the Lord, because Aaron is going to wear this to go places where no other priest can go. He goes into the Holy of Holies, and Aaron wears on that when he goes on his forehead when he goes in. He wears this medallion out of pure gold that says, holy to the Lord. So Aaron is set apart for that purpose. Set apart is another way to say holy to the Lord. He's representing the people of Israel who are also set apart for God, for the Lord. They are holy. And so he, say, he, he is also bringing the blood of the, of the sin sacrifice, the offering for sin, which is also a holy offering to the Lord. So Aaron is the high priest who bears the guilt, or some translations say takes away the iniquity, of the people of Israel, who makes atonement for them. So in his role of high priest, of doing those things, bearing the sins, or taking away the iniquity, um, or making atonement, does that sound familiar? They're a foreshadowing of Christ, who bears our guilt, and takes away our iniquity, and makes atonement for us. And the people of Israel, I mentioned, they were holy to the Lord. They were set apart, and they're actually commanded to be holy. You've heard this verse before. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. As Christians, we are called to the same thing. So that verse that I just read was from Leviticus. Uh, it's quoted also in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.16. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy, and that's what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be holy, and we don't think about that very much. 
we don't think about that's what we're supposed to do, to be holy. Uh, a commentary from a guy named Peter Enns um, on this section of Exodus wrote, What the Bible does is change how we think about God, ourselves, and the world we live in. And, and that's why we're here on Sunday nights. That's why we're here tonight, to let God, through his word, change the way we think about him and about ourselves and about the world through his law, through his Torah, through Exodus. And so like we sang last week in the hymn, as Christians, we're to take time to be holy. So that's a quick review of, of what we covered last week. But there is one other thing I need to point out that is just throughout Exodus 39 and, and 40. And we're going we're gonna to talk about some of that tonight. But from the blue and the purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, and then as the ESV says, as the Lord had commanded them. So the Lord had given very specific instructions for how to make Aaron's garments. Uh, there was no room for creative license. There was no room for putting your personal touch on things uh, as you are, as you are build, making these garments. And that's the same for the rest of the, ta of the tabernacle. Um, a while back, um, I think it's been more than a year ago now, um, I decided to, uh, we have an exercise room in our house that has been kind of absorbed as a bedroom. Um, but I, I thought it would be a good idea to put a Murphy bed in there. You know what those are? Murphy beds. So I ordered this, me this mechanism to do that and put it under the bed, and, and it was still there a few days ago. Um, <laughs> but I pulled it out, and I didn't look at these ahead of time. These are the instructions, and it said, and it says, do not deviate from these plans. <laughs> if you want to modify these plans, in all caps, in any way, call us first at the number. Unapproved changes can cause your Murphy bed to not work correctly and will void your warranty. Um, and then they go on to scare me with all the stuff you have to do. We'll see if I ever can do that, but, but it's not likely that I'm going to deviate from the plans, right? It's, it's just not likely. That's the way it was when God instructed Moses. They made holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. So let's just talk about this translation real quickly, as the Lord commanded Moses. Kind of sounds like like the, the, the Lord commanded Moses. So if you have the ESV, which many of us do, uh, the NIV, King James Version, even the Jewish translation, uh, which is called Tanakh, of, of, the, of this section, it says exactly, 
in all of those versions, as the Lord had commanded Moses. But there's one main translation that doesn't translate it that way, translates it slightly differently. It's the New American Standard, and and I believe it's better. It says this. They made the holy garments for Aaron just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So there's a nuance there that New American Standard is bringing out. Just as. Now that word can be translated either way. Perfectly fine. In fact, sometimes New American Standard in other places translates it differently. Just as as. There are other translations possible too. But the Hebrew word can be used either of those ways correctly. And so you might say, well, if it's, if it's, if it doesn't matter, I mean, if you can translate it either way, why make, why am I making a big, big deal of it? Well, um, because I think it matters, and I think it matters here, and here's why I think it matters. Because the New American Standard translators were translating it with the context in mind. So what's the context? The context is, read this. They made the holy garments, or hear this. They made the holy garments for for Aaron just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Just as. It's almost like they're saying exactly like. Exactly as the Lord commanded. It's almost like they're saying that. Right. So, So there's a good reason for that. Here's from chapter 25 at the start of the construction of the, of the tabernacle. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly, this is the ESV translation, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Do not deviate from this plan. Make it exactly like that. So, from the context, I think New American Standard is is getting, they did it just like that. So, so what's the big deal about that? Why do we even care about that? Well, because the tabernacle was the place of the Lord's presence, right? And the Lord was very particular about this, about what he wanted, exactly as I show you, the details Matter. So there's another thing about the context. The second thing about the context is that where we, where we read last week and where we are this week and where we will be next week, that exact phrase, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, the exact phrase is, is uttered, uttered, written, 14 times in these two chapters. 14 times. The exact phrase, both in English and in Hebrew, 14 times. And then there are four other similar phrases, but they're not exactly the same. And what really makes it striking and stand out as you read through this is it does seven in a row at the beginning of Exodus 39. And then the four similar phrases come after that. 
And then chapter 40 ends with seven in a row with that exact phrase. So that is not an accident. That is not a random occurrence of things like that. It is, you can't miss it if you, if you go through and are thinking about what it says. Just as the Lord commanded. This is a precise thing that the Lord has asked them to do. So as we move into that in Exodus 39, 32, um, through 40, 16, we don't get any of those phrases. We get the four that are similar. Remember I said there were seven at the beginning, four in the middle that are similar, and seven at the end. So we are in those in the middle. So here's 39, verse 32, the first one we're reading. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So here it is. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So you could call tonight's session this, all that the Lord had commanded. So we usually break down these, these sections um, of Scripture into manageable portions, and we're going to do that tonight. Um, it, it, it's uh, really all that the Lord has commanded is used four times tonight. Um, we're going to break this into two big parts, and then I'm going to break it into subparts for you. So the two big parts are this. And remember I mentioned we're going to go through the tabernacle twice. The first one is the people bring the tabernacle to Moses. Okay? That's the first big one. The other break is the Lord commands Moses to set up the tabernacle. So there are going to be instructions for setting it up. So they're going to bring it. And then Moses is going to get instructions on how to set it up. So, and in each of these two sections, in each of the sections, we have this. The tabernacle and what goes with it. The courtyard and what goes in it. And the priests and what goes on them. Just like we had with the rest of it. In, at the, but that took six chapters. We're going to do it twice in in. 30 verses, 30-some verses. So, the tabernacle and what goes in it, the courtyard and what goes in it, and the priests and what goes on them. And we're going to see that twice. So, a way this would be a way you could look at the outline. So, you're going to have all that, it's going to start with all that the Lord commanded, like we just did. We're going to go through the tabernacle and what, it, what goes in it in the first column. And then the courtyard and what goes in it, still in the first column. The priest and what goes on them in the first column. And then we're going to have two verses where it, where it says, all that the Lord had commanded. And then we're going to, so it, it separates these two sections, all that the Lord has commanded. And then we're going to do the same thing in chapter 40, up to verse 16, where we end with all that the Lord has Commanded. So it, it breaks nicely into this section, so we'll just start through this. And how we usually do this is we, because we're covering pretty large sections of Scripture, we, we, we go through it, uh, make a few comments. If you've been here a lot, um, you won't be, um, you'll be, you'll recognize all of these things. If you haven't, uh, you may not, and we just don't have time to, to go into detail on everything, but I'll, I'll make a few comments. Thus, 
All the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So there's our all that the Lord had commanded, and now we'll, we'll start going through the parts of the tabernacle, the tabernacle and what goes in it, um, for about six verses. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses. The tent and all its utensils, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tan ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen. So the tabernacle was a portable sanctuary. It was a tent. It had four layers. Um, The first two layers were of cloth and then of goat's hair covering that. They hang straight down. Uh, And then there are two outer layers made of different kinds of leather. One is ram skins, another is some other kind of durable leather, as the the, the NIV says. But it probably looks something like this. The tabernacle looks like this. Two layers that hang straight down, two layers that get pulled out like that to protect it from the the elements. Um, So next now, we'll continue and go back to the things that go inside that tabernacle. So this is what they brought. The Ark of the Testimony, which is the Ark of the Covenant, with its poles and its mercy seat or atonement cover, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold with its lamps and uh, its lamps and with its lamps set and all its utensils and the oil for the light the golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent. So this is the general layout of the, the tabernacle. Um, these are probably in their right positions, um, but these are the things that were just listed in that list of the tabernacle. It's, it's 10 cubits by 30 cubits, so that's roughly... 15 feet by 45 feet. So it's not real big. Um, it, but that's, that's what's there, and those are the only things in there. So we'll go to the courtyard and what goes in it. The bronze altar, that's where the sacrifices took place, and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin, that's to wash with, um, and its stand, the hangings of the court, so those are the side walls fabric, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords, its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. So it it looks like this then. The courtyard would look like this. Outside of it, you have the bronze altar. That's where the sacrifices are. The bronze basin. That's where the priests wash. Um, and so there, those, there would have been sacrifices continually, almost, on that bronze altar. Okay? So now we'll move on to the priests and what goes on them. So this would have been what was made in Exodus 39, at the beginning of Exodus 39. So the people brought the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priests, and that's, what, that's a summary of the first 31 verses of Exodus 39. And we move on to this, all that the Lord has commanded. So this breaks up the two sections of the tabernacle. So you're going to see the tabernacle twice. 
But these verses read this way. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So it's not quite exactly that same phrase as we had before. So they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. Now there's more about these verses that we need to talk about, but we'll bring that up next time, next week. So we'll go into the second round now. We're going to hear about the tabernacle again. These are the instructions that the Lord gives Moses for how to set it up and how to prepare it for worship. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So that is 14 days short of the date when they came out of uh, Egypt. So short of the Exodus. So just short of a year later. So that they will be able to celebrate the Passover by the time a year takes place with the tabernacle in, in place. It's also nine months from the day, to the day from when they arrived at Mount Sinai. So it's, it's pre- going to be prepared. It's roughly a year, just, a, just about a year, after they come out of Egypt. And you shall put in it the Ark of the Testimony that we usually call the Ark of the Covenant. And you shall screen the Ark with the veil. So there's a veil. There's, that's what's behind there, the Ark and what's in it. Um, the Ten Commandments, uh, stone tablets will be in it. Um, but uh, from the description, it looks pretty much like this from the, this um, description earlier in Exodus. Probably about like that. It's made of wood. It's overlaid in gold inside and out. Um, on top of it, there's a cover, uh, probably better translated atonement cover than mercy seat, but we're used to mercy seat. But think atonement. Um, cherubim, so some kind of angels on each end with wings overshadowing the cover. Uh, and they're facing each other and the mercy seat. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and set its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. So those are the furnishings inside the tabernacle. So now we'll go to the courtyard again. Um, So the courtyard and what goes in it, and this section is really a little broader than that because it includes the anointing oil um, and anointing, but it fits broadly into this category. And you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate in it or declare it holy, basically, and all its furnishings or furniture so that it may become holy. And you shall anoint the altar of burnt offering. That's where the sacrifices take place. And all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin 
in its stand and consecrate it. Next, the Lord's instructions for the priests and what goes on them. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. And you shall bring his sons also and put on coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And finally, we come to this, all that the Lord had commanded them. And this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. All that the Lord had commanded him. So do you get the feeling that it was important for Moses and the Israelites to do all that the Lord had commanded them? He commanded him, actually, Moses. Um, So do you think it would be important if God were to give us a commandment today, it would be a good idea to do all that the Lord had commanded. So how important would that be? Um, we We might say, well, I would make it my highest priority in life. If the Lord commanded something, and I knew the Lord commanded me to do something, I would make it the highest thing that I did in life. Or would we, or might we say this? Well, I'm pretty sure that in the New Covenant, God doesn't ask us to be commandment keepers. He, he really doesn't seem to be concerned by too much of that in the New Testament. After all, we're not under law, but we are under grace. So as I've been reading these last couple of chapters over and and over again, I mean, in considering New Testament texts that, that come from them, and there are a lot of them that come from them, I just, I, I kept getting stuck on just as the Lord Commanded, or all that the Lord had commanded, they did, or Moses did. And on this, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or to keep all that I have commanded you.
all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So right there you have the presence of God, the presence of the Lord, and all that I have commanded you. Right out of Exodus. Right? Two things, at least, that that can be traced back to Exodus. So we are, we are called to be commandment keepers. We're called to make other people commandment keepers. Do all that I've commanded you. So, and that is a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You might say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make disciples. Well, you know, we, we repeat this over and over again. Usually I repeat this over and over again. We are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. We are living as a family of disciples. We are making disciples in our community. Well, those things are right there, right, in this, in this commandment or in this that we get from Jesus. We are raising up disciples to send into the world. So, so how do we make disciples? Well, right here. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's how we make disciples. So, you know, people have different ideas of what discipleship is. It's pretty much this. Um, I, I, I like Nine Mark stuff, and, and they, in their discipling book it says this, here's how you, here's how you make disciples. You help other people follow Jesus. That's kind of what this says. So let me give you one example. Um, so how many of you are happy with your prayer life? How many of you say things like, I pray, pray a lot. I pray plenty. Um, I think my prayers are pleasing to God. I think my prayers are effective. And I, and I think I pray like a disciple of Jesus. I think I pray like Jesus. Um, how many, show of hands, how many would, would say that? <laughs> so helping someone learn to pray is a way to disciple. Right? Just looking for one example. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray. So, um, you probably guess where we're going with this. Matthew chapter 6. Turn there for me, with me if you would. Matthew chapter 6. Just begin in in verse 7. Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So you might think, well, yeah, that's why we don't 
go to a high liturgy church because we're not going to heap up empty words that don't mean anything to us. I can make up my own prayers. Um, or and somebody told me one time, yet yeah, we, we don't, we, we really shouldn't pray a repeat, repeated prayer at all. We should always be creating, or didn't use the word creating, but making our own prayers. We shouldn't use other things to do that. Well, let me ask you if, if this is meaningless repetition that doesn't really mean a whole lot. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our guests who are here with us today. Pray that you'd bless this food to our bodies and the hands that prepared it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I was thinking about that, well, is that repetitious? I mean, is it, is it thoughtful? Uh, I, just this last week, I got an, an article from the Nine Marks people. Um, it was called, Why You Should Be Praying the Psalms. And here are some of the benefits. You'll pray more biblically, faithful prayers. You'll be freed from the boredom of saying the same old things about the same old things. You'll pray more God-centered prayers. You'll enjoy more focus in prayer. You'll find that prayer becomes more like a real conversation with a real person. So, so by the way, why you should be praying the Psalms. We have been discipled on that now for three years, right? Today it was Psalm 141. Doing this, which is out of the article, but this is, this is how Pastor Randy prays. I believe that the most simple, permanent, and biblical solution to this almost universal problem is to stop making up your own prayers most of the time. Because that results in repetitious prayer. And to pray the Bible instead. And how you do that is praying the Bible means talking to God about what comes to mind when you read the Bible. Usually, you might read the passage first and then go back and pray through what you just read. So, did Jesus pray the Psalms? Jesus prayed the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a prayer. Right out of Psalms. Jesus prayed that way. So, yes. All that the Lord has commanded, that's what we are to do today. One small example, how we are to pray. And let's um, close in prayer, and then we will have our final hymn. Lord, um, we do thank you for your word to us tonight. We thank you that, that you, through your Spirit, Teach us. Lord, we pray for this church uh, as we head into our business meeting tonight. We pray for wisdom uh, as we uh, consider the things of your family of disciples that we are. 
We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.